my role. Five years and 10 months till my mother's death. July 2007, age 25. If you get the big one, we can split it at my house. My mother pointed to a five-pound bag of organic carrots. I turned over the package, made sure there weren't any rotten ones hiding at the bottom, and then added it to our two-small cart. We were in San Luis Obispo shopping at New Frontiers, one of the local health food stores in the area. Our cart semi-divided into mine and hers because since Tom and I followed them to the Central Coast, this became our short-lived routine. I'd pick her up, and we'd drive to the store 30 minutes away. I'd shop with her for both of us. I'd unload the cart at checkout, sometimes bagging the groceries to make sure our stuff stayed separated. I'd reload them into the car, drive her home another 30 minutes, and unload their bags. I'd unpack all their groceries and then drive myself home another 15 minutes and do the same. By the end, I'd be exhausted and frustrated that I gave until there was nothing left for me. Sometimes I'd stay and help her prep salad fixings or roast veggies for my dad. I was expected to care for my mom because we were best friends, because we were just hanging out, because Tom and I moved there to be close to them, and then also care for my dad in the way she used to care for him and couldn't anymore. After stopping to visit them on the way to our honeymoon in November, Tom was able to get transferred with his job, and by February 2007, we had moved living 15 minutes down the road from them, right across from his office. If my mother were healthy, it might have been different, but living so far from her was never an option. We'd made it out west, having the adventure others only dreamt about, but just like a degree or a job, a person or a wedding. A beautiful place can't fill what's missing. I had things I felt purposeful about, like being a wife, creating a home with Tom, exploring our new environment on the weekends, but I had no purpose, nothing that was intrinsically mine that connected me to myself. And a drier, more temperate climate didn't cure my mother of her illness, but it did mark a before and after. She was diagnosed with limited scleroderma, the most aggressive form of the disease when I was 15. The specialist gave her five years. By the time we moved to the Central Coast, it had been 10 years, always managing collagen deposits, dental and digestive issues her fingers curling in on themselves, poor circulation and chronic pain. When we arrived, she was still able to rotate her neck enough, which meant she could still drive. But shortly after, her neck along with her wrist became too fixed, only allowing her to face forward with no flexibility from her fingers to her elbows, and she was forced to stop driving. It's strange not to be able to point to a particular moment where we sat in the kitchen and discussed what it would mean for my mother to give up driving. Our conversation probably looked like me asking, so you can't drive anymore? She shrugged, flattened her lips into a smile. Her eyes always held hope, like, no, I can't drive, but let's assume this is temporary. We took our cue from her that within each loss of freedom, there was always the possibility that she'd move into remission. While my mother's body became more hardened, our lives continued on. In the supermarket, I rolled the cart forward. A bunch of celery for us, a bunch of celery for them. Baby bok choy? I asked. I'd love some if you don't mind cooking it. I didn't mind, or I shouldn't mind, or I used to not mind. Cooking for people is my love language. I started watching the Food Network at 13. 
The first time in my life we had cable, and with each year and a lot of practice, I became a better cook and baker. But the thought of going home with her after the grocery store and cooking it for her was the same way it was impossible to dress for the Central Coast. Too hot in the sun, too cold in the shade, with the relentless wind that was always cross with you. But this was hardly the first time my mother and I had come to a crossroads about personal freedom and autonomy. One of our big sources of tension was when I turned 16 and got my driver's license. At the time, I was moving through natural developmental stages, but our dynamic meant that as I started to separate, my mother made it about her. You don't need me anymore, she'd say when I would want to go to the movies with my friends. What are you talking about? I'd ask, confused. You never want to hang out. Years later, she'd bring up this time in our relationship. As soon as you started to drive, you stopped asking me to do things. The way you're saying it, it's like I was doing it against you. This was a classic conversation with my mother, where I'd leave with the belief that by growing up, I had hurt her deeply. I had done something wrong, and it was my responsibility to make her feel better. I didn't know how to say, I want you to have bok choy if you want it, but I don't want to cook it for you, because there was no one else to do it except my father. I couldn't bear hurting my mother, so I hurt myself instead and bagged a few heads of baby bok choy before placing them in the cart. Pushing a shopping cart down the aisles, picking out produce, it's what we'd done my whole life. Except for me, it felt nothing like food shopping with my mother as a child on Kauai or as a preteen in high school in Atlanta, where we sample our way through Harry's Farmer's Market. Baby bok choy was one of those samples. A woman with a small table and electric pan set up in their produce section sautéed it with soy sauce and grated parmesan over it after it was done. We'd made it that way ever since. But Harry's was long gone, and that time in our relationship was gone too. Our lives are comprised of seasons. Even when it feels like we're standing still, there's change and movement, rhythm and everything. My mother's disease was no different. It was impossible to ignore the acceleration of her symptoms within the year and the effect it had on her and us. In a lot of cultures, it's customary for the oldest child to care for their aging parents. As the eldest, though no one asked it of her, my mother moved us back to Georgia to do just that with her own parents. And even though I'm not the eldest, my brother is five years older, I played the eldest in my parents' dynamic. And so perhaps she thought spending my early 20s caring for her was her birthright. Not so different from the way she taught my brother and I to have a back and forth in conversation. Familiar contribution in her mind functioned the same. We'll help you pick up your car from the shop, but then you owe us. $200, my mom remarked at checkout. Even though it wasn't explicitly expressed, my mother did notice our benign outing had turned into a job I did for free. My whole day spent with her and the groceries and she knew good quality food was expensive and that Tom was mostly supporting us with his salary. While I pulled out my credit card, preparing myself for the uncomfortable payment dance we did, she reminisced about when we'd spend $100 at Publix for a week for a family of four. It's okay, she cut in with her own card. I'll get it. You sure? I hedged, waiting for the catch. It's not that I expected her to cover our bill. It's that sometimes she offered and sometimes she didn't. But it was never clean or straightforward because she was conflicted with how much I gave in time and labor and how much she should give in return. Yes, but you get it next time, she told me like I had asked her to pay. My mom often said things in a way that rubbed others wrong. She didn't mean, 
fine, whatever. I'll pay for your groceries, but don't think I will next time. But that's how it felt. That's how most of our interactions had felt since we moved there. Like she was being reasonable and I was overreacting. A healthy conversation would have been setting clear expectations beforehand. If you take me grocery shopping, I'll pay for your food. But since her needs were constantly in flux, it felt a lot of the time like I was reacting instead of being proactive. Sometimes my resentment from saying yes when I meant no would come to a head and I'd lash out with, can't do this anymore. This being processing a bouquet of roses for her from the farmer's market or helping her pick out dried herbs at the health food store and then sew them into new hand mitts or shopping at Ace Hardware for new plants for her garden. She'd come back with, what do you mean? I thought you wanted to go to the farmer's market. No, I, I did. That's, that's not, it's not what I meant. Just like at 16, our dynamic had changed. I'd gone from daughter and best friend to caregiver without any more skills to communicate the shift than I'd had before. It wasn't the actual activity, which from the outside appeared like a good time. It was all the stuff underneath. But everything with my mother was all or nothing, which meant I wasn't allowed to have two conflicting emotions at the same time. She couldn't understand how I could both want to go to the market and not want to arrange a bouquet for her after. Since I'd been conditioned to please her, I'd do whatever she asked, expecting it to fill me, which it never would. I'd leave her house irritated and confused because I wasn't living my own life. I was living hers. For an eight-year-old going to the health food store with their mother to buy dried lavender and rose for hand mitts is a fun outing. But for a 25-year-old with nothing of her own and a mother who's now dependent on her, it's friction. At every iteration of her disease and whatever it took away from her, we'd go around this way. I'd try to express my needs or create healthy boundaries, and she'd twist whatever I was saying and focus it back on her, where I couldn't say, I don't want to take you grocery shopping anymore, without her making me feel like I was abandoning her. In the 10 months we lived in the Central Coast, in addition to caregiving, I would go through two part-time jobs. Neither were fulfilling. One as another assistant to a wedding photographer, but this time I'd be alone, combing through her digital files on my computer and picking the best of a dozen duplicate shots. It was mindless, sad work. The other was at a gift shop a town over from where we lived. It was interesting at first, and the shop seemed to thrive, but then it started losing money, and the newness wore off, and I was no more than a salesgirl working minimum wage. After loading the last bag in the trunk and pushing the cart back, I was pummeled by the open sky and the fearless wind in my mother's presence before luring myself into the driver's side and closing the door. I pressed the ignition, placed my hands at 10 and 2, embraced myself for what was still to come. I hated that she was energized and I was exhausted, that it seemed to be her pleasure or mine, that it had always been our dynamic, that her disease exposed the dysfunction and then made the role I played no longer worth it. It's not that I feared change, it's that I didn't know how to let that version of us go without letting her go, and I didn't want to do that. Ready? I asked as I backed out of the space. Oh, Jazzy, she said, always a smile on her voice. What a beautiful day. She was just happy to be out of the house and part of the world and with me, which made sense because she was living where she wanted with what life she had left. Not that she wanted to be sick, nor that she wouldn't have traded able-bodied with handicapped. But unlike me, the choices she could make, she had. She made decisions and I followed. It had always been so. 
except it would have been too easy to point my finger at my mother and say, it's you, you're the problem. And it was true, she was some of the problem. But to pretend she was the reason I was so dissatisfied with life is to say I wasn't an active participant. I was. I hid behind her, leaned into her need for me, used her as an excuse to avoid admitting I was scared and lost, deregulated without a conscious identity. No one was forcing me into mindless work. I had the opportunity to do and be anything, but I didn't know what I wanted and had no clue how to figure it out. By the end of the year, Tom would get transferred again, and we would move four hours north to the East Bay. My mother and I would spend every day on the phone, brainstorming and negotiating ways to be closer to one another. I was incomplete with her. I was incomplete without her. It could only mean that what was missing wasn't someone else or something else. What was missing was me. But I wouldn't understand that yet, and I'd forget how painful it felt to be by her side, and I'd fall back into a false belief that if we were together, everything would be okay. I'd use her, and she'd use me, and neither of us would get closer to what we wanted. Me, to know myself, and her, to be well. I'm Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel, written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes. I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasminealiarasmussen.substack.com to find out more.